Welcome to Through Rough Waters, a biblically-based mental health podcast presented by WCST and supported by West Michigan Wellness Group. I'm your host, Zach Allen, and joining me is my co-host, Kevin DeCam. Kevin, how are you today? I'm doing just great, Zach. How about you? Great. Also joining us today is Brooke Holmes. Brooke attended Grace College and Theological Seminary, where she graduated with a master's in mental health counseling. She previously attended Grace College to finish her bachelor's in counseling and has also completed the Focus on the Family Institute program for Christian leadership. Welcome, Brooke. Hi, thanks for having me. Uh, Some of the other stuff that I also do is I work with anxiety and depression, and then I work with a lot of trauma. So I work with people in toxic and abusive relationships, and as they come out of those and are healing from that. Um, And then I do psychotherapeutic yoga. So that is about building self-awareness, body awareness, and also learning some self-compassion. So speaking about self-awareness, today we're finishing our series on conflict by taking a look inward. We spent a lot of time talking about certain situations and ways to address them, but today we're going to look at ourselves. We're going to look at how to be self-aware when we're going through conflict. Now, whenever we're in the middle of some conflict, it is very easy to default to the mindset of, obviously I'm right, obviously the other person's wrong. In essence, we think of ourselves to be better than we actually are. The Bible, surprisingly, has something to say about this. This is Romans 12, verse 3. I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. So how does the wisdom from this verse apply to being self-aware when we're in the middle of some conflict? I think the biggest thing that comes to my mind is the idea of perspective, having perspective about yourself and the people that you're interacting with or having conflict with. I think it's really important to be aware of maybe what they're bringing to the conversation, where they've walked, any sort of trauma or abuse that they've walked through, or even just maybe they had a bad day before you had that conversation. Yeah. It's so easy to make those assumptions, right? And just assume we must know what's going on. Um, Versus humility, which is kind of hard. And I love, Zach, that you've uh, linked this verse and our topic today together with the idea of a posture of humility, Um, right? Because I may not, when I'm in conflict, be thinking of it necessarily as the opposite of humility. I may not be thinking of um, the position that I'm in or the posture I'm holding as trying to be better or more important or, or more valuable. But when I get pulled into conflict, I definitely think of my position as being correct and the other person is wrong, right? Because there will be a difference. That's why we have conflict. And being able to, it may not even be untrue, but but one way that we're invited to navigate through that um, in a more honorable and, and holy way is to uh, maintain a posture of humility. So it's very different, obviously, than how the world encourages us to conduct ourselves, especially in the current age and the assisting technologies where we control or react instantaneously or, um, you know, provide a, a really useful response in 280 characters or less. Um, but once again, the ancient wisdom of scripture invites us into something more beautiful and something more healthy by not thinking more of ourselves as we should. Yeah. And it's important to remember, we've talked about this so much in this series, like when you're in conflict, you have to stop and breathe and like find this, find this perspective. Cause when you're in a fight, like, all right, it's time for fight or flight. Let's do this. Like, this is not something that's ever going to be automatic. It's something we have to be aware of and train ourselves to do. Yes. And those automatic responses, again, are, are primed and created to optimize efficiency. 
uh, and efficacy, um, not necessarily accuracy. Yeah. And, and so that's, once again, what we're talking about is slowing down, considering another's perspective, even considering our own perspective. Brooke, I think that's what you'll have more to say about today, right? I'm going to do a second verse today as well, because um, I think it kind of fits what we just talked about from that verse in Romans, knowing that we're not perfect. How do we kind of change our frame of mind? And I love this passage out of Second Peter. This is Second Peter 1, verses 5 through 7. It says, Make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, virtue with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with steadfastness, steadfastness with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. There are a lot of really good words and really good ideas in that passage, but there's a lot of things that are easier said than done. Um, What are some ways that we can maybe put these words and ideas into practice, specifically in what we're talking about today, being aware of yourself when you're in a fight with someone? Yeah, you know, we're talking about perspective, but I think the other part about that is um, what does it mean for your, what are you bringing to the table too, right? That's that self-awareness piece. So when you're thinking about what somebody else might be bringing in their internal world, what are you bringing in your internal world? So did you have an argument? Do you have something from a previous relationship that you're putting on to this other person? And that's an important thing to come up with, but you have to build that self-awareness. And I think that's one of the harder pieces that we come come across and struggle with is how do I figure out what's really going on in my mind and my heart and um, and how is that impacting this conversation? So one of the things that I really encourage people to do is journal because it can get what's going on inside your head out on paper. And then you can kind of reread it and know what's really going on in your head. Uh, despite popular opinion, uh, I really don't believe that the Bible is a simple list of restrictions. You know, it's not just a bunch of do's and don'ts, although that's how a lot of people view the, the Bible. But it's actually an invitation to something so much greater. And, and that greater thing requires some instructions. Right. If we are to live differently uh, than how our human nature might compel us to live or how we might instinctively to respond to things, if we're going to live according to a higher order, then we have to sort of follow a different set of rules. Um, so, Zach, when I was looking at this verse, I actually uh, you you and what you sent to us um, started with the uh, dot, dot, dot. There's a fancy word for that that you probably know. Ellipsis. Yes, I knew you would know it. So I, I went back and I looked and if I could, actually, I thought the first three or the first two verses that precede first Peter five through seven. So three and four set this up, I think, in a really interesting way that even give us a better understanding of why it is that we would follow this instruction, what it is that we do. That's the practical part, but why would we? So listen, at least from the ESV, uh, what Peter says here in verse three, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, or virtue is the other way that that's sometimes uh, translated, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises So that through them, you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in this world because of sinful desire. So that too is a mouthful, but think about what is being said there, right? And this is one where I think it might be helpful to even play the tape backward. So if we started with 
five through seven and even play that backward. If we start with love, which allows us to approach others with brotherly affection, that leads to godliness and godliness to a higher order virtue of steadfastness and self-control and the knowledge that comes with that and virtue. And all of those things are meant to supplement our faith. And why would we do that? Well, because what he says is our sinful nature, if we play that part backwards, our sinful nature leads to our corruption. And yet if we are to follow the great promise that we may partake with God, we may participate with him in that, that divine nature and be called to the glory and excellence through which we are called, then we must do these things. And, there, and there's this divine power that pertains to our life. I, I, it was almost interesting to me to read it forward and then backward again and see it sort of as a prescription with a really good motivation. And so on the practical end, what do we do? Well, I think we could start with that love word. And we've been talking about it all along. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't just being, mean being nice. It means the thing that we're talking about. We need to change our frame of mind. We need to overcome that human instinct to be right and to win or to run away and, and escape in order to feel more safe and more comfortable, to hang in there, to, to draw near, to, to pull into someone and to understand where it is that they're coming from will lead to these higher order virtues. And, it, and it's just a greater way to live. What an invitation. Yeah. The Bible's pretty smart. What do you know? <laughs> well, and like you Who said thought? on one of the previous podcasts, just being curious, right? Opening oh, yeah. up that Always. opportunity to just ask those questions, get to know a little bit more of what's going on behind the scenes for both you and the person you're in conflict with. Yes, absolutely. So speaking of being curious, today the, the meat of the episode is being self-aware when you're in the face of conflict. And uh, Brooke, we were talking before we hit record, and you were talking about one of the most important things to being self-aware when you're in this conflict is this being curious, this perspective, this putting yourself in the other person's shoes. Why don't you talk about why that is so, so important? I think it's important because otherwise when we're in a wound, we can kind of get stuck in that wound and that's all we can see. And so a lot of the times when you're um, in conflict with someone, there's something that has been offensive or hurt you, right? It's hit a trigger or a point that kind of gets you blinded to everything around you. And so when you can pull in that perspective, and this can be a really hard thing to do, like sometimes you can start to view that either through curiosity with the other person, or you can find someone that you really trust and you can, that can be objective, which is what we do as counseling. Mm -hmm. Um, But you can find someone that you really trust that you can say, hey, I'm having this conflict. I just want to have this conversation because I need to get some perspective. I need to understand what might be another direction I can look at this because I can't see through my pain. So inviting someone in to help you see what you might not be able to see precisely because you are in pain. I I used to use this examples when I worked with children before I was in private practice. We talked about this phenomenon where um, I might call 10 people a certain name and maybe only one or two of them would react to that name. And, and sort of conversely, I might call just you, Zach, 10 different names, and nine of them might bounce right off, and, and one will really get under your skin. Yeah. And yet, if I said this to you, because this is where we started when I was working with kids, why are you so upset? Why are you acting out? Why are you angry? Why, why did you just attack that person? Or why are you in your room crying? What would they say? They, the first thing they would say is, because so-and-so called me such-and-such right? I found the problem and the problem is you, or I found the problem and the problem is the word that you said. And yet actually from what you're saying, Brooke, we need to be able to understand why is it that that particular name or word triggers something in me because it might not trigger something in you because your story is different than mine, right? Exactly. And and if we know each other, if I take the time to understand where that's coming from, um, I might 
understand that. And again, to our invitation, if I'm willing to take a posture of love, I might actually care enough to be careful with that. I liked your perspective of playing the tape backwards. And a lot of the times I work with my clients and I always talk about how, you know, you get those little mazes like on your um, placements at restaurants. Oh yeah. I always start at the end yes. and so go backwards. Easier. It's a cheat code. <laughs> it yes. is. But we can do that same thing as we're building self-awareness, right? So we don't always start at like, this is where my wound is, we usually have to kind of like do that map backwards and figure out what it is. Here's our ending point, the resolution. And I want to get to why this became such a problem for me. Yeah. So again, start with, of all the things that might upset me, why does this upset me? Mm -hmm. And then work backwards. And you'll, you'll often find that wound, the source of that wound. And to be clear, as we always talk about this, not necessarily uh, just the thing that happened, but how did the thing that happened impact me? Or how did I make sense of the thing that happened? Because that's what I'm still carrying with me. Yeah. Okay. Right. And in that wound might not be with the person you're actually in conflict with. It might be from a previous relationship, from something in childhood, from just something that became an irritation to you over the years. Right. And what I'm reacting to is that. Right. I'm not actually reacting to thing, the thing in the moment. I'm reacting to the significance of that thing, what it means to me, the power it might still hold over me. Yeah. So we're talking about like perspective and like these are all like big thoughts and real good thoughts. But talk to someone who is like they're in the heat of this conflict right now. Like someone said X to me or whatever, like something has happened and you haven't had the time to breathe and like take this perspective. What are some tools that maybe you can cultivate and have in your back pocket so when you get into this conflict with someone you can calm down before you kind of set yourself off uh exactly what you said take a breath <laughs> I thought that too. <laughs> number one take a breath that's the that's the biggest thing and you can't um you can't be in a relaxed state and anxious or in like a fight at the exact same time your brain just can't do it so if you can get yourself to be calm you can start to filter and use those parts of your brain that can actually process what's going on and why you're reacting. Um, the other thing is, if you can, take time. Time really does give you space to start to sift, to even kind of release some of the intensity and the adrenaline that's already been sparked in that conversation so that you can really dig into it. Grandma was right. We've said this before, right? Take Count to 10, take a couple breaths, walk around the house. It was right. All this, all this old kind of common sense wisdom is actually backed up by some, some really legitimate science in terms of how we can calm ourselves down. Okay, so I want to latch on to something that you just said, Brooke, where putting time, like giving yourself time. There's a Bible verse that we all know. Um, I don't know where it's from. Like I'd have to Google where it's from, but it's the don't let your, don't let the sun go down on you when you're angry. What is the difference between that biblical wisdom and giving yourself time? Like how can those two things coexist in a healthy way? I, I think the biggest thing with giving yourself time in this is you're not, the goal isn't to create greater wounds, right? So I think I don't know how the biblical perspective is, is letting your son, the sun go down on your anger. You're not necessarily supposed to still be in an anger state, right? Mm -hmm. We're trying to calm that and come to the place of wisdom where we're discerning and processing through what the problem is. Um, and so to give yourself time isn't to avoid or give the silent treatment. It's trying to give space for you to say, I want to come back to this. I want to resolve this. And... I also need time for my brain to catch up to mm -hmm. where we are. Yeah. I may or may not have just done a quick search, mostly to get that, <laughs> that reference, uh, which is Ephesians 4, 26 to 27, for those who uh, didn't already beat me to it. Um, 
and it, there's a reminder on, on one of the prompts that came up of something that I've heard before. Like many things, we tend to take that verse very literally, yeah. right? And, and can even get a little legalistic about it. Oh no, I did something bad by being angry. Now I'm doing something even more badder by the sun setting, right? Mm-hmm. And it's, well, it's January in Michigan. So the sun sets at like 514, right? So at 515, I'm in big trouble. Where, where really maybe what was being conveyed there was more the idea of exactly what we're talking about. Don't let our anger be buried. Yeah. Don't don't let it go unnoticed. Don't let it um, go without, uh, not even just resolution, but even examination, which fits exactly with what we're talking about. And I, I think then if we understand it from that context and less the very prescriptive literal context, we can understand that that goes hand in glove with the idea of taking time because to notice, we've talked about this all the way through every episode basically in this series has been that it requires some time to slow down, back up, take a look, even get help, have someone else help us. All of that takes some time. And so Again, we're, we're, maybe we're sort of free from the legalistic restrictions on that one, um, yeah. that, that it's a double whammy if the sun sets while we're working on this and more of just an invitation. Again, an invitation. Don't let it sit. Don't let it get buried. It'll come back somewhere else. Yeah. So while we're talking about self-awareness here, I want to lean into why it's so important to be self-aware when you're in a conflict and moving on from that phase of someone made me angry and it's all their fault. And if you can't move yourself beyond that phase of blaming the other person, like what does that do to you if you choose not to be self-aware, if you choose not to understand what's going on in you? Because no conflict is always one person's fault. Like there's always blame on either side. So what does it do to you if you fail to acknowledge your part in what went wrong? I think there's two parts there. One, uh, the exact question you're talking about is the idea of like, what does it happen when you stuff this, right? Um, The other part is when you're being self-aware, you're facing the truth, which sometimes that's ugly truths about ourselves. Um, But when we stuff, and Kevin kind of alluded to it in one of the comments he said, was when we stuff, it comes back in other ways, right? I have to tell my clients, uh, if we stuff it, it comes out as a volcano and we don't get to control the response time of that. It comes when it wants. But if we're being self-aware, we can give that space and deal with it in the appropriate time frame so that it's not going to be a volcano and come out in an inappropriate time. Yeah. Can I add to that part of it, Brooke, another piece that... Um, I often ask people to consider is not only will you not be able to control the timing or sometimes the intensity of where it comes out. Another thing to take really seriously is when it comes out, it will come out at the weak point, whatever that means. You know, there's huge correlations between unexpressed emotion um, and repressed uh, anger and, and other significant emotions and physiological disorders, especially those affecting things like the digestive and the reproductive system. One stat alone that seems to be one of the clearest ones is unrepressed emotion and urinary tract infections. Most people might not logically uh, make that connection, make that jump. They might not think of it in that way. And yet, if we think about it, it actually kind of makes sense, right? I sometimes talk about emotions having power as do um, as does electricity or does water. And if you think of water or electricity being contained or channeled, channeled and then increasing, right? So you pour water into a crack and then it, its size increases because it freezes. What happens, right? The water doesn't shrink. The rock cracks, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. And, and it will crack at the weakest point. Yeah. And so if, if that weak point is something within our body, our body is likely to break down. We see that all the time. We, we are, tend to get more ill 
physically ill and more uh, subject and prone to physiological, you know, virus, the expression of viruses and, and the inability to fight that off when we are under stress. How many people by show of hands in this room and in the audience were sick over the holidays? <laughs> All of us and probably most people listening. And, and so it's that. But the, uh, the other thing to consider is the weak point might be a relationship, right? It, uh, it might that that stress and the energy that surrounds it, if I don't deal with it and channel it appropriately, uh, may come out in the form of um, a problem within my relationship. It might come out in my performance in some area of my life, like work. It might impact my sleep. Whatever's weakest, that's where it's going to come out. And yeah, I, I like what you talk about with the volcano too, Brooke, is um, you've given up your chance to deal with it on your own terms now. So one of the things, Kev, I've heard you mention a few times in the midst of this podcast is specifically talking about why you should see a therapist, why you should go to counseling is the least objective person about your situation is you. So what if you're in this conflict with someone and you're like, I am being self-aware and I have every right to be mad. Like what are some like self-diagnosis, like symptom checker things you could do to yourself to kind of check your heart and make sure you are actually being aware of your own self? I think that's a great question. I think the hard part is, is we don't always want to face the truth. That's the other half of that piece I said earlier, right? We don't want to face the truth because sometimes it's a little bit ugly about ourselves. And so we have to start noticing how it's impacting us. Is this conflict making us speak poorly about somebody else to other people, right? Are we getting into that space of gossip? Are we being critical about ourselves or others? And is that really an internal work of something that is a heart issue for us? And how do we face that? I, you know, Zach, I've noticed how when you talk about the, when you sort of ask the in the moment questions, if, it, if listeners are paying attention, we almost always keep it really simple with breathe and take time. And, and that is because maybe the brutal answer to your question, what do we do in the moment is probably nothing in the moment. Because again, when, once we are triggered with that fight or flight response, once we are perceiving and reacting to a threat, our capacity that we may otherwise have to navigate this in a higher order manner, in a, in a more godly, a more holy way, is fairly well inaccessible to us. We, we just really don't have the option. We're, we're disconnected from it. And we've talked early on neurologically about how that's even true. The part of our brain that allows us to do the thing that would be a much better thing to do is a ghost town when we're really upset. No, and that's there's why- There's no magic solution. Yeah, yeah. There, there really isn't. So when you start to paint that picture, I'm in the conflict. Well, I mean, first of all, I don't know about you guys, but when I'm in conflict, I am always right. So it's much easier for me. Um, <laughs> uh, somewhere my wife just groaned. Um, uh, but that's how we see it, right? And and that's how we will see it until we settle down a little bit. So I actually think you got to kind of stretch the question just a little bit away from the idea of a magic trick that might help you in the moment and more into a repetitive understanding. And we, that's why we say this over and over and over a little different way with a little different emphasis with a little different style of all of our different therapists, the idea that I've got to get myself to a better place, then I can probably handle it differently. And then there's this, this sort of proactive approach. And this is back to your question about why, how and why therapy can be helpful. I need to practice that in a controlled environment and dissect and navigate it with someone who isn't part of the conflict and who isn't reacting at me or against me and, and also is willing to call out Brooke you keep talking about the ugly truths right some of this stuff like why do we do this yes it's human nature but also it's just a heck of a lot easier 
right? It's, it's hard to slow down and to back up. And sometimes we need help. Sometimes we need somebody who loves us enough. I like that phrase from Second Peter, brotherly affection. I have two brothers. Affection looks a little different among brothers sometimes. I have three sons as well. Um, it's affection, but sometimes it's tough, right? And sometimes it means being willing to call someone out in love and say, hey, I we got to take a, a little closer look at this. And then we just have to practice it. We just have to practice and practice and practice like anything we want to be better at. We can't expect to become an expert until we practice like crazy. And so I think maybe stretching that question out into the idea of how do I settle myself down when I'm that upset and back away from it? And then how do I get better at this higher order approach to conflict that requires and involves so much self-reflection and curiosity towards the other person, and then practice that when we are less upset. Well, and kind of taking the idea of like Granny's com- uh, Granny's comments, right? Those phrases, <laughs> yeah. but hindsight's twenty twenty. Yeah, so when we one. can give ourselves time, we can often be able to look back and mm-hmm. see the root cause a little easier in order to be able to come to that resolution or find what it is that created that burden for us. Yep. Yep. And how many times don't we walk something like that back and say, well, okay, now that I'm calm, now that I look at this, now that I step back and give it a minute, I can realize this is actually what was going on, right? Cooler heads prevail. Yeah. So I think one of the temptations when you hear the word conflict is to think of it as some acute thing, like someone offended me and now I'm mad, but there's other forms of conflict that are this long, slow simmers, maybe a generational conflict in your family, or maybe someone that just bothered you when you were a kid and you never fully processed it. You talked earlier, Brooke, about journaling, which is a fantastic tool, um, one that I use every single day and uh, I can't recommend it enough. What are some other tools to use to kind of process your self-awareness, maybe with these more long simmering conflicts rather than this acute danger, danger? Like what are some tools we can use to help process and be aware of what's going on in ourselves? So self-awareness isn't just cognitive. So recently I wrote a... um, a little blurb about self-awareness and I brought it in. It's kind of three form. Um, so it's physical self-awareness, like kind of where our body is and how we're reacting to things. Um, uh, emotional self-awareness and cognitive, right? So journaling really helps you in that cognitive space. What am I thinking? How am I processing that? Emotional self-awareness is more like identifying the emotion. And when we can speak the truth over that too, right? So I keep coming back to that, the importance of speaking the truth over ourselves, but being aware of it. And um, emotional self-awareness is building emotional uh words into our vocabulary, right? Knowing what it means to be sad, knowing what it means to be happy. And there's a real deep connection between the emotional word and how our body physically responds to that. And so our body gives us cues all the times. When you're sad, often your shoulders like slump forward. You feel this weight um, on your cheeks down to your jaw, right? So like your face turns downward. Sometimes you even have like the head tilt forward. When you're happy, sometimes you have this like lightness, this brightness. Uh, You stand tall, or you have this uh, a big broad smile across your face. Those are two of the easy ones. But being able to like dig deeper and know some of those more expansive or deeper meaning emotions might be able to help you understand a little bit more about yourself. Can we put a feeling wheel in the show notes? I, <laughs> yeah. I think we have a good link we can send your way for the show notes. Yeah. Well, like, yeah. I think we talked about this in a previous episode. I forget which one it was, but someone asked, can you name emotions? And like, I struggled to name more than like three or four or five. Like, yeah. 
Yeah. And, and we've been talking about this. This is another area where it's much easier to have the objectivity to recognize something in someone else than it is in my own self, right? So you ask children often to look at a picture, sometimes not even of a human being, sometime of an Im- sometimes of an image or, or an animal, and they can very correctly interpret and, and identify what emotion is, is being expressed. But ask a, a grown man, I'll speak as a grown man. What what are you feeling in this moment, right? And I'll and I'll say why you made me mad, <laughs> right? That's about as close as I can come if I even use the word mad. And so this this is just another area that takes practice. We just we just literally have to do the work. We have to do uh, the work in Brooks' office. We have to do the work uh, with tools like we'll share in the show notes, um, and and do our research, listening to podcasts like this, sharing them with a friend. There's a plug, Zach. Um, and, and just become more emotionally competent because it's a competency like any other thing we might practice. Yeah, because often when we someone asks us how we're feeling, we tell them how we're thinking. Yeah. So we really just skip that whole emotional side of things and go right to the thought, which actually can sometimes make the conflict worse, right? Because you're not getting to that vulnerable space where you're opening up to be real with the other person. My rule of thumb in my office when I'm working with people on this is to pay attention, and I invite anyone listening to pay attention to this just in their world as a casual observer. It's crazy when you pay attention how much you'll hear it, is when people are talking about feeling or using the word feeling, if that is preceded uh, by, or sorry, if that is, is followed by the word like or that, and then pay attention and, and think about it just a little bit. They almost necessarily are not actually talking about an emotion. They're giving their opinion, yeah. right? So, Zach, you did something and said, Kevin, how do I feel? And I say, um, I feel like you're kind of being a jerk right now. Yeah, that's not a feeling. <laughs> that's not a feeling yeah. at all. It has actually nothing to do with me. I'm diverting mm-hmm. away from me into my opinion about you. And now that's what we're going to argue about. Yeah. Unless you're astute enough as the listener to say, oh, wait a minute. Right. And Brooke, this is what you're getting at with the willingness to be curious and to lean into an understanding of where someone else is coming from, even if it's coming at you like a barb. And that's really hard. The hardest thing to do when someone's firing at you is to move towards them instead of fight back or get away from them. We really have to overcome that human instinct. Um, And assuming they're not actually firing at us, it just feels like it. it, it, There is some beauty and wisdom in being able to lean forward and say, hang on a minute. You know, you, you said you feel like I'm a jerk, but I, what I'm asking is about your emotional state right now. What is the actual emotion that you're experiencing? Um, so pay attention to that one. It's, it's, it gets a little annoying, actually. You'll catch yourself doing it all the time. You'll, we, we use it in our language and in our vernacular all the time. I feel like I feel that. Yeah, there's a big difference between you're, you're so judgmental and I feel judged right now. Yeah. And if I say to someone, I feel judged when this happens, that's going to invite curiosity from the other person because they're going to be like, that's not my intention. I don't want you to feel judged in this moment. I want you to feel heard and seen, especially if there's a good relationship with you and the other person. Yeah. So I want to turn the page a little bit and let's talk about what happens after a conflict has been resolved. Like you, you feel like you're not in a fight anymore. Like it's resolved. You're feeling okay. What happens now, specifically in this self-awareness piece? Like, what are some questions you can ask yourself? Like, am I still holding on to something? Or maybe is something still not unresolved? Like, talk about this post-conflict state. I think this can be the hardest part. And I 
personally, I would say this is one of my spaces, like after it, you start having these questions. Did we really resolve it? Are we going to be okay after this? Can I just walk up to them and be like we were before the conflict? Is this conversation going to be easier or are we going to feel awkward the rest of our lives? And so trying to figure some of those things out. Also, we keep coming back to giving yourself some time, right? The relationship also needs time. You have to give it space to breathe, come back and start to interact with them just as you would before, as long as your behavior before wasn't the conflict, right? Adjusting for those things, but being aware what might still be going on. This is that cognitive self-awareness. What's going on in my thoughts? Am I making it awkward because of what I'm believing about this situation? Hmm. Yeah. And I'll, I'll plug again, kind of the, the meta awareness, the meta level of self-awareness, which is that reminder of what is it that's going on here? We've laid this out from the beginning. It's not how we often think about it, but it's important to be reminded that conflict is a constructive process. It's not usually how we first think about it because in the process of the construction, it's usually uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, silly example, but I, I have these coasters on the coffee table in my office that are like half stone, half wood. Really beautiful, just kind of cut down the middle. And they're sort of honed to blend together and to be very smooth. Well, they wouldn't look like that if it wasn't for conflict. And I bet if we could have asked the stone or the wood how they felt while they were being honed, sanded down, it probably didn't feel real great. And yet it led to them being more beautiful. And so that meta awareness, I think, before, during, and especially after to say, yep, this is uncomfortable. And that might allow us then to stay in that space you're inviting us into there, Brooke, right? Is, is yes, this is uncomfortable. That's because it's conflict. Well, what is conflict? Well, it's not necessarily bad. In fact, it might be making me stronger. It might make me, be making me more beautiful. It might be improving our relationship. And in that context, maybe it's a good thing that the relationship won't be the same moving forward. Maybe that's the whole point. That's, that's where we started all of this was with the proposition that what if conflict is actually God's design for relationships mm-hmm. and for self-improvement? I have a verse actually that I think just really fits this. And so I found this, I was studying James this summer and I came across this little blurb in James three and it's talking about basically the fruits of wisdom and it's James three, 16, 17. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And I just really like that because it talks about all those spaces that we've been giving, right? We're talking about giving space. We're talking about getting gaining perspective. That's where some of that mercy comes in. Are they bringing something to the table that we need to be aware of? But also afterwards, are we still coming into this relationship being peaceable? Or are we holding a grudge? Is there something unresolved that even though our conversation says we resolved it, is there something I'm still holding on to? And I think we can do that very often. And maybe it's something that we just have to be like, I'm holding on to this because conflict is scary for me. So before we move on, we've talked a lot about this processing journey and being self-aware. Now, I'm sitting in a room with two licensed professional counselors. Obviously, you guys feel very strongly about the power of therapy. Now, I'm putting myself in the shoes of someone listening to this. Maybe they're listening to a podcast about mental health because they haven't taken the step to go talk to somebody yet. Why don't you make the case for why someone should get over that anxiety, get over that fear, make the call, make the appointment, and what is the power of a good therapist in processing all of this? I think for me, the biggest thing is to be able to remove some of that fear and that stigma, right? So a lot of the times when someone comes in and for our first appointment, I sit down and I say, hey, 
I know I have a license, but I'm also a stranger. So I understand that to make you feel comfortable in this space, you're going to share what you're comfortable sharing. And we'll build a relationship so that you feel comfortable continuing to open up and get to the real concerns for you. But the other part that I tell them is I intentionally give space to just build tools because tools are usually pretty unoffensive before you get to the deeper processing space. There really needs to be a relationship for some of that. Um, Some people can come in and that's no big deal and they just lay it out there. But if you're hesitant to come to counseling, it's probably because there's something that's scary about that, being vulnerable and open with another person. The other piece that I tell them is when you come in and you sit on my couch, it's kind of like just talking to a friend and having coffee. So it's not always this like big scary, I'm gonna tell you how to live your life. I'm just gonna help you build those tools to a better degree and just really have a good calm quiet conversation yeah i have to plug brooke i know that's not why we're here but to vouch for her that she's she's very intentional and organized in her life (laughs) and in her style we often tease back and forth uh, about these differences that could create conflict but i think brooke we navigate that pretty well don't we uh, to make each other better Um, you are professionals we try (laughs) to be i I play one at work um and and she really does a good job. I, whereas I, my style lends itself more to kind of jump off the cliff into the deep end and see what happens. Um, but I, it's one of the reasons I really appreciate having Brooke in our office and working with her is she has she has uh, a very large plethora of tools that she can teach people and she uses them and she and she really does start that way and equip people and then guide them very carefully into their story, which is which is wonderful. Um, so my plug, I've, I've made quite a few from a few different angles. I think I'll go with kind of just a basic, simple one to answer the question from my perspective, Zach, which is, um, anything worth doing requires some work and very few people would argue with that. Uh, if we, if we made that case talking about your vehicle or your home, uh, your finances, your, your physical health almost no one could deny that it takes some intentionality and some work and some investment. Uh, time, money, and energy is what it takes every in every area of my life where I want to be better. Um, and yet, for some reason, when it comes to my mental health or my relationships, we think they're just supposed to work, right? And we, we, we think that just good intentions are supposed to get us far enough. Because we see other people and we think, they're, it's so easy for them. Why is it so yeah, hard for me? Yeah, right. Which, especially in the age of social media, is, is a huge danger to even make an assumption mm-hmm. like that. Um, but, you know, I always like that phrase, why, you know, the grass is greener on the other side of the fence. Well, it's because they fertilize, right? They, they work at it. They do some work. And so I, I think my case for therapy in this area is is just kind of common sense wisdom there as well, that if we want something to be better, we have to work at it. And as we've talked before, one of the best ways to work at it is not just to ask somebody that already agrees with me or doesn't care enough to give me honest feedback, but someone who is in the place to be really objective about what it is they see and is skilled and trained in being able to help us navigate from there back into our story. Okay, so as we move towards the end of the episode, we want to spend some time with our listeners. It's time for some Q&A. If you've got a question you'd like us to answer, a couple ways you can get it to us. You can submit it at wcsg.org. Just search for podcasts. Click on Through Rough Waters. You'll see the form right there. You can also submit your question through email as well. It's through Rough Waters wcsg.org. That's how we got today's question. Sharon sent us an email. She said, what if I think that my problems or issues aren't as bad or as big as anyone else's, that my problems are trivial? Why should I bother telling someone how I feel? Your problems matter to you. And I think that's important. And in somebody that has relationship with you, 
they're going to want to know. That's part of where we build that vulnerability and that emotional intimacy. And that's where really relationships can bloom is to be able to be real with each other. And if someone really cares about you, you're not considered a burden to them. Great answer. <laughs> I was thinking um, how often people get hung up in a similar spot just with talking about dealing with their own stuff, their own trauma. Sometimes uh, the at least stated motivation for not doing so is that someone has it worse than I do. And, and I'll sometimes take that head on and say, yep, yeah, they do. <laughs> All the way out to whoever has it the worst in the entire world right now. Someone will always have it a little better and a little worse than you, but it's all relative. So how, how is it for you? And at the risk of sounding um, kind of sarcastic or even callous about this, I think part of the answer to the question is, how's it working for you, right? I, let's not talk about who might have a, a bigger or smaller problem, who might have it uh, worse off or be dealing with a bigger issue. Let's, talking about, let's talk about how what's happening in your life is, is panning out for you. What, what problems is it causing and creating, even down to some of the stuff we talked about earlier that you might not even be making a connection to, right? Why are you struggling with this behavior? Why can't you sleep at night? Why are you perpetually having the same issue? Why are you anxious? Why are you depressed? whatever, you might not even be connecting to the fact that something is unresolved. Those mm. things are sort of actually a, a normal, understandable reaction to something not aligning or being unresolved in your life. So I would say let's look there instead. Let's not look left and right at who else is dealing with what. Let's look at within and say, how, what is this create? What problem is this creating in my life? And what would it take to be doing better than I'm doing right now? Yeah. Be self-aware. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Yeah. And Sharon, I hope you heard that as an encouragement and an invitation, <laughs> not, not as a criticism, uh, because Brooke said it right the first time, your, your issue matters to you, and, and let's, let's address it. Let's deal with it. I would say that the only other part that I would add to what Kevin was saying is the word that often comes with people that are hesitant to come into counseling and with, that fits with Sharon's question is this feeling of being stuck. And that's what I get a lot in my office. People come in and be like, I don't know what's wrong. I'm just stuck. And that is a great starting point for being able to find healing. Thank you so much for joining us for episode 10 of Through Rough Waters and for joining us through this first season. We're going to take some time off uh, the next couple of months to plan out what's going to happen for season two, but know that we are coming back. We've got some big things in store and we can't wait to be back with some more content and some more conversations for you later this spring. I want to thank Kevin and Brooke for being here and thank West Michigan Wellness Group for using their expertise to support this podcast. Uh, Kevin, if someone decides... It's time for me to take that step. How do they get in touch with you and how do they start their journey of therapy with y'all? Absolutely. We are literally, we say often we are happy to help and we are literally happy to help. So give us a call. Uh, the phone number is 616-600-1187, You can email us at info at westmichiganwellnessgroup.com. Look us up on the web, westmichiganwellnessgroup.com, and there's plenty of prompts and buttons to uh, reach out and connect with us. Uh, if you're ready to go, we're ready to go. If you have some questions, we're ready to answer your questions. And uh, yeah, we're happy to help. And Zach, if I can just say too, uh, to you as my co-host, we made it through season one. We did it. High five. Uh, it's been so much fun to our listeners. Thanks for joining us. Um, we've had a better response than we could have ever expected. Thanks to CSG for uh, the format. And this has just been such a pleasure, and I'm so looking forward to season yeah, two. It's just the beginning. God, would you wrap us up in prayer? I'd be happy to. God, we just thank you first and foremost for this partnership, for this opportunity, for our ability to come here and utilize uh, these uh, media to be able to take the message that you've given us and uh, uh, 
um, insight and the skill and the training that we've been blessed to experience and to share it with your people, to whoever's listening. And I pray on the receiving end, Lord, that whoever's hearing the sound of our voices today will be moved and will be touched, will be motivated uh, to take a look, to look within, to be willing to follow your invitation that we follow uh, all the way back to your ancient scriptures, where you ask us um, to think with sober judgment and to um, pursue in love uh, faith with virtue and knowledge and uh, just our ability to get along with each other, our ability to understand each other, our ability to see one another as your divine creation and to celebrate that as we do your redemptive work together for may it be on earth as it is in heaven for it's in your name we pray. Amen. This podcast and its content are designed and intended to provide a place for conversation. Topics and advice covered in this podcast should not be taken as professional medical advice or emotional or spiritual counsel. If you or a loved one needs professional help, they should seek a licensed professional. The views covered and discussed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of WCSG Radio or Cornerstone University. Ideas presented are not necessarily endorsed by WCSG Radio or Cornerstone University.